plenty of action at the 2016 trade deadline, and that means plenty to talk about on a special Tuesday edition of Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, August the 2nd. It's show number 37 of the 2016 Fantasy Baseball season. It's a special Tuesday Roundtable edition, talking about the biggest deals from Monday's trade deadlines and what some of those deals mean for the fantasy value of the players who got traded and the players left behind. I'm Patrick Davitt, the host of the Baseball HQ Radio podcast, and when it's trade deadline time, there's only one thing I have to say. We gotta talk some baseball. And let's get rolling on this special Tuesday edition of Baseball HQ Radio by introducing our guests, a couple of fantasy experts who will be well known to you. First, it's my pleasure to welcome, from BaseballHQ.com, co-general manager and columnist Ray Murphy. Boy, we got a lot of ground to cover. That was a busy deadline. Oh boy, was it ever, yeah. And uh, also joining us from Rotowire, Masters Ball, ESPN, and uh, frequent guest here at Baseball HQ Radio, it's Todd Zola. Todd, welcome back to the show. Thanks, I made it to another deadline without getting traded. <laughs> well, you're, you're practically on every team in the league anyway. I got 10-5 right, so I can, I can reject any, uh, any deal. Okay, let's get started with, uh, I think, the biggest news, especially at the deadline. The story said this was one minute before the deadline this deal was finalized. The Texas Rangers get Jonathan Lucroy from the Brewers. Uh, let's start, Todd. What do you think is the effect of this trade on Lucroy's fantasy value? I think that it's, it, I don't know if it's parallel. I think it improves it just a little bit. AL East, he's, to me, the, the biggest biggest uh, whale coming over. I guess my only concern might be that it's really, really hot in Texas, and I don't know if they're going to catch him every day, but I do think they're going to find a way to get his at-bats. Prince Fielder is out for the year. You're, you're not going to sit, uh, you know, Mitch, uh, Mitch Moreland, even though he's, you know, other side hitter. They're going to get Lucroy's bats. So, But I, I do think we need to be a little cognizant of the uh, the the conditions down there in Texas might uh, move things around just a little bit. I saw a story about one of the reasons that he was kind of more pleased with going to Texas than he would have been to Cleveland, and of course there were there was a lot of coverage of his uh, veto rights as far as where he could or couldn't be traded and how it affected his future free agent value and all this kind of stuff. But he said he didn't mind Texas because he's from Louisiana, so he must have grown up in that kind of heat. Yeah, but I'm not sure that he squatted 162 days a year. Uh, you know, for three hours a day in it either. But you know, you know it, it, it's 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 you know, it's it's more narrative than we like to normally give. But you sort of have to think of you know, with two months left, you kind of have to think of all the little scenarios. But like I said, I don't think it's going to impact him as far as playing time goes. And I don't I don't see him wearing down or anything like that either. Uh, depending upon if Texas has a lead in either the wild card chase or the division chase, they may give a little bit of a rest down the stretch. But I think there's also something to be said for needing to get to know that pitching staff too. Uh, go, you know, into the playoffs and the whatnot. I'm not. I'm not sure how many, how many ch- catchers have changed teams at the deadline because you know they do they do they catch. They have to learn the staff, and that's not the greatest of staffs either. That's the staff that can use a little help from a catcher. So I think you got to sort of keep that in mind too. Is you're going to want to get Lacroix comfortable you got two months to do it with the uh, with their starting staff Ray Murphy what do you think uh, the effect on 
Jonathan Lucroy's fantasy value will be with moving from Milwaukee and an also-ran team, and he moves to Texas, a first-place team, uh, with obviously with the clear aspirations to go deep into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of benefits for him here. I mean, Milwaukee's a pretty good place to hit, but... You know, obviously all the hitters love hitting in Texas, and if you're going to go to Texas, you know, arriving there on August 1st is kind of peak time to take advantage of the heat, etc. Uh, to, to drill into Todd's point a little bit about the, you know, the rest and, you know, the risk of a catcher wearing down later in the season, that's sort of something that seems like a overall theme in what Texas has done here. Over, not just behind the plate, where they've got Chirinos who can give Lucroy a couple days off, or Lucroy can you know DH or maybe even play a little first base here and there. But this is this isn't exactly the Cubs or something like that. But this is still a very deep and talented roster now, where I think with a they're up six games or something like that in the West right now. As long as that edge stays somewhat comfortable, I think you're going to see. Just about everybody in this lineup get enough time off to keep them fresh and probably from a fantasy perspective, just enough to be annoying. For instance, if you look at our updated projections for Jerks and Profar, who's sort of the become the Swiss Army knife there, I don't think I've ever actually seen us lay out projections this way before, but we have him projected for... 70% playing time overall and no more than 15% at any one position. It's literally 10 to 15% everywhere except catcher. And that just kind of goes to you're going to see Odor get a little bit of time off. You're going to see Beltre get a little bit of time off. You're going to see LaCroix get a little bit of time off. When Chu comes back, he's not gonna, probably not going to play every day. I think this is on a nightly basis. There are 13 guys on this team who are going to be drawing for nine lineup spots essentially. Todd, this raises an interesting question. Where do you think Lucroy is going to hit in that powerful Texas batting order? Not exactly sure, because they also, as, as Roy Lucy, they actually have some platoon ability as, as well with Mazzara and, and things like that. So it may even be a case where they get, they have a distinct versus left-handed and distinct versus right-handed lineup. I think it's going to be it's going to be higher than most catchers. I, I think it's going to be in the top portion. They've actually they've dropped Odor down a little bit. Uh, he was hitting at the top. I don't know how long they're going to continue to go with Delano DeShields leading off at this point either. But I, I think it's going to be in a spot where it's still going to be productive. Uh, you know, we care about the number of plate appearances and all that sort of thing. But we are talking about two months. So if we're talking about, I don't know, 40 or 50 over the course of a season, that's a big thing. If we're talking about, I don't know, 13 or 14 over the course of two months, it's not quite as big of a thing. It's going to be a produ- in a productive spot. I, I don't think we have to worry about that at all. And, you know, as far as, you know, getting time off, yeah, I think it's right. But I think if things work out, this is a lineup that's going to turn itself over and score a bunch of runs. So he's not going to lose you know, if you, all these guys that we're talking about, Profar, et cetera. They're still going to get nearly as many at-bats as a full-timer on a team that's not going to score as many runs. So I, I think I, I wouldn't – if I own one of these guys, I'm not panicking. If I, if I, if I own a, a Mitch Moreland, I think it's not – it's not going to lose that much playing time. But Ray's right. They do have a lot of moving pieces here. I think it's a, a pretty well-constructed team as far as that goes. I'll agree with that to this extent. I think that if I were a Delino DeShields owner, I might be a little worried. Yeah. Um, he, he just can't hit left-handers at all, so he's going to sit all the time. I think choose around 500 on base percentage this year against left-handers. So when he comes back, which I understand is going to be later this week, he figures to go right to the top of the order. And I think there's a chance that maybe they they 
take a look at Lucroy as a second place hitter, which could affect uh, Mazzara by shifting him down the order a little. He's been he's been down anyway. Uh, when when he went into a slump, I mean they moved him back up again, but he's already moved down there in in the seven seven hole. So I wouldn't be surprised at all. And it, what you mentioned about the shields, I think Desmond showed enough in center field that he could probably handle the position going forward. Uh, he not you know he's not going to track as the best center fielder in the league, but I do think he's going to be decent enough that they can get by. I'm not even sure DeShields is all that. We think of fast guys as being great defenders sometimes. I'm not even sure he's that great with the glove. Uh, so I, I, as far as, you know, if I'm a Texas pitcher, sure, I'd, I'd rather have, you know, Kiermaier or Pilar or, 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 or Jackie Bradley out there. But I'm not crying because Desmond is behind me. Ray, uh, you mentioned the projection and how it changed for Jerickson Profar, that he's got all this playing time spread out all over uh, the place. Uh, if you think about what Lucroy might have been projected for balance of the year if he'd stayed in Milwaukee versus what he'll do in Texas, is it? going to be a significant gain or should we just expect more of the same as far as you think i think it's more of the same we actually you know the todd kind of laid out the pros and cons on one side you know he might get a little more rest but on the other side it's a better park to hit in and he's now in a lineup that's turned himself over more often and if he does hit um as todd suggests if he gets a crack at the two hole uh that's a that's better news in the in the AL than in the NL because there are more RBI opportunities, especially in this good lineup. Because you know after the first at bat, you know that's two batters removed from the pitcher in the NL. So overall, I think it's a net positive, but probably a very small one. Todd, your uh, uh, projections black box. Have you had a chance to run through since the deadline and see how Jonathan Lucroy and others are affected? I'm in the process of doing all that now. Uh, I'm not. I mean. I, I don't know that we should get hung up on a projection at this point either because there's so much variance over a two month uh, a two month period so I mean if I, if I have him in mixed league I'm not I mean, just I'm not worrying about it I'm not looking to replace him and it's not going to affect my bid in AL only league it's he's an all-in bid for me if uh, if I have the hammer in AL only so it, it's it's kind of you know we're, we're talking the margins here it's it's nothing to lose sleep over I agree with that especially since uh, he's going to be replacing the second catcher on your team, so it's bound to be a pretty significant upgrade, perhaps as big an upgrade as anybody could reasonably expect. Uh, the Rangers also picked up Carlos Beltran from the Yankees. Looks like he's going to DH a lot, and uh, the original story I saw said he bats pretty much regularly behind Adrian Beltre in the five hole. Have you guys heard anything different? Um, I haven't yet. Uh I, I think it's you know what they do with Odor. I think I I do think it's going to be a fairly fluid lineup, uh, but because uh, Ray says I think you're going to see guys jumping in and out. And for those of us that are you know dabble in the DFS are going to have to be uh, checking it every night to see where our guys are going to be hitting. But yeah, I, it's going to be in the meat of the order, and um, he'll I think he'll play a little outfield. But I you know with actually you know fielder going for the surgery, you're never going to hear things like that. But for the Rangers, it could be sort of a blessing in disguise for them at this point because, you know, Ray, you do some playing time. You always look at that Texas team and you go, something's going to give here. And, you know, you're not happy that it was Fielder going for surgery, but it's not too surprising and it did sort of clear things up. Yeah, I think that's exactly right there. This team was positioned as well as anybody even before these trades to absorb losing Fielder. And as we covered earlier, I think the Beltran arrival in particular is sort of a uh, bad blow to Delano the Shields. That's really the primary loser here. But uh, And in terms of you know, lineup position, if you want to get worried about that stuff, I think you're right. I think that 
Beltran's going to fit in the middle of the order. And when Chu comes back, that's when you start. You, I, I think you're at risk of seeing Odor and Mazzara in particular further down the order against right-handers. Although that gets interesting because, you know, from a lineup construction perspective, if you you can't jam all of Moreland, Mazzara, and Odor down at the bottom of the order, you know, those guys hit righties well and you don't want to stack them up and make it easy for somebody to come in with their lefty specialist anyway. So on any given night, to your point, Todd, you know, someone's probably going to bubble up toward the top, and it, but it might be somebody different every night. So I'm guessing that, uh, again, because of the, sh- the relatively short amount of time, we're looking at Carlos Beltran to maybe pick up some uh, RBIs, maybe a, a few runs from the Yankee lineup, uh, given the added strength of Texas, but this is not going to be a, as big a change probably as uh, certainly Jonathan Lucroy's addition is going to be from a fantasy point of view. I think that's about right. You know, Obviously, Yankee Stadium is a good place for what for him to be finding the short porch and Texas has that same profile. So that shouldn't be much of a change, but you know, with the weather in Texas at this time of year and the obviously top to bottom stronger lineup, you know, he should get more plate appearances and that should bump the counting stats a little bit. Yeah. And DHing should help keep him healthy. I heard someone talk about the, the year he got really white hot with Houston, uh, it, to, to, you know, to date how long ago it was, Houston went through a, a time where they were terrible. So to talk about when Houston was in the playoffs, that's how long ago. So someone was saying, oh, it was a great pickup because he gets really hot down the stretch for the playoffs. Nah, it was that one year. So you're going to see some, some narrative about that. What it does mean, though, is he's had playoff experience and he's a good guy to have around to talk to Mazzara, to talk to Profar, you know, along with Adrian Beltre. So I think it, I think it's one of those, you know, we don't really talk too much about it from a fantasy point of view, but I do think he's a great fit for the uh, for the Rangers as far as, you know, playoff team down the stretch. And, and it does sort of, it does sort of help us. I mean, another guy that might lose out some playing time if you were if, in AL only counting on a guy like Ryan Rua, he may not get the, uh, you know, the, the extra couple of bats that you may have hoped for. But I think that it just, if you own Texas pitching, I think you're happy. And if you, you know, if you own Adrian Beltre, some of those guys, I think you're happy too, because it keeps their production solid. And before we leave this part of the, uh, of the trade deadline, this also obviously opens up a hole in the New York Yankees offensive lineup. Uh, any thoughts on who might step in and add some fantasy value by getting some more regular playing time for the Yankees taking Beltran's spot? Well, for the very short term, I think it's going to be Aaron Hicks. Uh, the window might just be a couple of weeks as the Yankees sort of take a, another extended look at him. But I think sooner than later, probably even before September 1st, we're going to see Aaron Judge come up and sort of the intent of moving Beltran was to clear right field for Judge to begin with. And they might take the opportunity to have a little gander at Hicks again and see what they have there and form some plans for 2017 with Hicks. But the future is Judge, and the question is probably whether it's you know one or three weeks away. Yeah, Judge is being activated off the DL. I think pretty much as we speak, uh, he's been hurt down at AAA Scranton. So uh, they, they probably want to make sure that he's okay, give him a little bit of time down there. And I wouldn't be right, Ray. I wouldn't be surprised at all. To see him up, and I think Hicks is still. If you own Aaron Hicks, I think he's still going to get playing time because you, you know you, you do have your uh, Ellsbury and Belch, uh, uh, Gardner. They're not going to play every single day the rest of the season. So you know Aaron Aaron Hicks is going to continue to see a bump in playing time going forward for people in AL only that have him. So he's not a guy I'm looking to uh, be too too concerned about. You know pl- you know you love this week. He's going to play full time, but uh, don't drop him afterwards. Rob Snyder got the start the first game after Beltran left. Any chance for him? 
playing time, and, and playing time is gold down this point of the season. You know, anything can happen in two months. But you know, I, uh, if I have Ref Snyder, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking. I'm, you know, I'm not pretty much. Oh, good, I'm going to move up in the standings because I have Ref Snyder. Um, I, uh, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm underrating his his uh, you know capabilities. But you know, the bats are good. But I, I kind of want better at bats. And the Rangers. Everybody thought they'd be going after starting pitching. They, apparently they couldn't get a deal done for a relatively small number of really top starters that seemed to be available. But they did make a pitching move in acquiring setup man Jeremy Jeffers from the Brewers. And Ray, uh, it may not seem like a big deal, but it actually is. James, uh, Jeffries is a pretty good pitcher, and they needed some bullpen help. Yeah, they've, they didn't strike in the Chapman and Andrew Miller tier, but to your point, Jeffries is quite credible in his own right. And They've got a deep and nasty bullpen sort of all of a sudden with uh, a couple of moves they've made, a couple of things that have worked out. You know, don't don't sleep on the Dario Alvarez pickup from a couple of weeks ago. His skills have been off the charts for a couple of months now. Uh, Keona Caleb is coming back from the DL, and he looked good last year and should be fresh. Matt Bush has been terrific, and, you know, Jeffries should slot right in kind of above those guys or with Bush. Right now, they're saying he's in the eighth inning in front of Dyson. Uh, there was some initial concern or speculation, depending on where you stand on these guys, as to whether Jeffries would supplant Dyson right away as the closer. Uh, they've declared that Dyson's their guy for now, but certainly I think this shortens the leash a little bit. And from a sort of non-fantasy playoff point of view, it's also worth notice, noting that Bannister was pretty quick to sort of disavow traditional roles in the playoffs last year and start mixing up Dyson and Tolleson and all the other guys he had last year in different spots in the short series. And I think these this pickup in particular and this now five or six-man deep pullpen that he has now has him set up to do that again, particularly on the days where Darvish and Hamels aren't pitching in the playoffs. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Todd Zola and Ray Murphy on a post-trade deadline special edition of Baseball HQ Radio. And staying in New York, Todd, the Mets picked up Jay Bruce from the Reds. Seems to give them now 92 outfielders and still no center fielder. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a problem. And the you know to be you know to 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 they identified that too during the press conference. If you if you caught the press conference, they pretty much come out and said is. You know, we bought a bat. We didn't buy a glove. We're, you know, we're still sort of stuck where we are. But he was the best bat available. I think they're uh, putting a little too much on on how well Jay Bruce is hitting with runners in scoring position this year, because we all know how flighty that can be and un, non non predictable. About you know, I guarantee that's what we hear about. You know, is what, why they made that trade because he's hitting so well with runners in scoring position. But you're right. I mean, we always look for sort of ancillary effects of these all these trades, not the obvious ones. And to me. You know, the, is this going to make Syndergaard and Mats and, and all want to strike everybody out and not let anybody hit the ball in the outfield anymore? I don't know. I I, I like, you know, hopefully they just, you know, because these guys especially, <laughs> you don't want them exerting, you know, they're already pretty max effort and an issue with, the, with bone spurs. You don't want them having to think they have to strike everybody out at this point. So hopefully uh, nothing changes as far as that goes. And, then, you know, you just hope that they you know, don't hit balls in the gap, and these these guys can catch a routine fly ball. But I am concerned if I own the Mets pitchers more than uh you know con, you know Bruce. I'm, it's fine. It's a parallel move. Uh, I mean, I'm a little more concerned about the Mets pitchers though. 
Ray, uh, Jay Bruce having the best year offensively of his career in certain respects. He's already at 25 home runs. He might threaten the 34 that he hit a few years back. His 875 OPS through this part of the season is the best ever if he could keep it up. I guess the question is, Cincinnati's a pretty friendly park to hit in. City Field, not quite so much. Can he sustain this offensive momentum that he has um, in a in a tougher park as it is? You, certainly there has to be a ballpark hit there. The Mets have taken some steps over the last couple of years to make right field in particular not as imposing as it was when City Field opened, but they certainly have not turned it into Great American Ballpark, which is just a launching pad, particularly in that direction. That said, you know, Bruce seems to have the kind of power that should play just about anywhere. Um, I We've seen Lucas Duda put up good numbers when healthy in New York, and he's probably a pretty similar comp for Bruce as a hitter. Bruce will still get his numbers, but I think all of Todd's concerns about uh, you know why the Mets might have overvalued or overstated what Bruce can do for them are the more relevant points than the ballpark factors. Todd, he's also leading the National League with 80 RBIs, Jay Bruce, and uh, now he moves from the Cincinnati lineup to the Mets lineup. Is that a run-producing advantage, disadvantage? Again, the same type of thing. What do you think? Well, I sort of alluded to it. The 80 RBIs are a pretty good result, and you sort of alluded to it too. He's hitting some home runs. He's just, I, I don't have the exact number, like 350, 360 with the runners in scoring position. And the normal mark is a little bit above your average, and I think that's probably because when you're hitting with runners in scoring position, you're facing pitchers from the stretch, and uh, the skills go down. So if you're you know, if you're 280 hitter, you should hit 290 with runners in scoring position. It's usually a 10 to 15 point bump, and his is just huge. I, I think it's parallel. Now, continue to keep in mind from the parks to sort of build on what Ray said. It's actually fair, a lot closer than you think as far as home runs go between City Field and between the, the Great American Ballpark. Uh, City Field still de- uh, depresses runs more than uh, Great American Ballpark isn't as much of a hitter's park as far as runs go. But as far as the production goes, too, don't we, in general, sort of a general statement, don't get too hung up on the parks because even the, I don't know, Ray, what, Ray, what, you know, the top projection for whatever Mark Trumbull might be now. But the, at this point of the season, we're only looking at 14, 15 more home runs from the best power hitters. So what are we talking? A difference between 8 and 9 is a projection, 9 and 10. You know, so, and that's just, it's it's not worth, unless we're talking about a guy going from San Francisco to, to Colorado or something like that. It's 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 the player. It's 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 the park is it's a factor, but it's it's you know it's the player. Yeah, absolutely. I think the more relevant point on Bruce actually looking at his numbers is I think that runners in scoring position gap that you pointed out is interesting, Todd. On the other hand, looking at his um, skills, we have him. You know, he's got a current two sixty five batting average, and we've actually got his expected batting average up pushing over three hundred, which kind of kind of supports the idea that maybe the uh, from a skills perspective, that uh, runners in scoring position isn't quite as dramatically out of line with uh, what we think he should be capable of at the plate. Uh, he is making a lot more contact this year and hitting for power concurrently, which we always like to see. I mean, we don't, you know, th- there's nothing to hate about Jay Bruce. You plug him into that match lineup and he should continue to be Jay Bruce, essentially. The Dodgers made a deal. Uh, they've, of course, had some real problems with pitching injuries. They got uh, Rich Hill from Oakland and Josh Reddick to move out into the outfield for them. I guess Yaziel Puig's uh, really the odd man out there. Uh, the question here, I think, about Rich Hill is uh, the, not not that big of a park change. Is certainly a better team, but is he going to be able to play? What do you think, Ray? Yeah, I think the hardest part of projecting what he's going to do over the balance of the season is 
just picking a number for innings. I mean, what's been bothering him for the last you know month or so is quote unquote just a blister. With you know nothing structurally wrong with his arm, he's not p- pitching with you know floating bone chips or a half torn UCL or anything like that. So, I mean, in theory, if they put that problem to bed, then he should be good to go. And somebody even made the point yesterday that for a guy like Hill who does not have a long track record or at least a recent track record as a starter, this sort of midsummer break for a minor problem like a blister may very well be the best thing for him in terms of trying to keep him healthy and having some gas for the stretch run. If you compare him to, say, Drew Pomeranz, who got to Boston a couple of weeks ago, and at the time of the trade, at the time of the trade, everybody was talking about how he's already pushing his career high for an innings limit, and sure enough, his first three or four starts in Boston haven't gone well. You know, Hill should be somewhat immune to that problem with the Dodgers, but you know, the counterpoint to all everything I just said is, you know, when's the next time he's going to pull a muscle or feel a twinge somewhere and have to miss a couple of starts? So. High risk, high reward. No, yeah, I agree. Uh, we've seen how much damage the guy can do in a one-month stretch. Not that he's going to repeat what he did, but you know, we, at, at the end, we, when we you know go over all the National League pitchers and we can, you know, if we're comparing the three of them, you know, I don't think a spoiler alert here. You know, Ivan Nova and Matt Moore. You know, to me, Hill is if I'm further behind in the standings and I need to make up the most ground, I'm going after Rich Hill, even though he might not be healthy now because he's got the greatest upside. Uh, of of the three, so you know that's what I'm looking at as far as that goes. And I gotta think that the Dodgers would have, I mean, especially because it's a blister. You don't you don't need medicals. You know, <laughs> send us a snapshot of his hand. You know, so I, they, you know, they would have they wouldn't have made the deal. I don't think anyway had they not been confident that there was going to be an issue. You know, it was kind of weird. You had the entire break to, for a blister to heal, and then his first start afterwards, it, it blew again. I you know I'm not you know judging. It just to me that's you know a little bit curious. But, you know, a, a blister to a pitcher is the thing. You, know, you can't grip the ball. You're not, a, you know, it doesn't matter. It's as bad as your elbow hurting, right? You can't throw the ball. So uh, I think he's going to have success there. He's got those, the two, the, the curve, he's got the two pitches down, uh, down pat. I, I look for him to make, you know, even if it's for six weeks, I think he can make an impact in NL only big time. Of course, the difference between a blister and elbow is uh, one is Tommy John, the other is a jar of pickle juice, isn't it? I was going to say, can we get the guy some pickle juice? I don't know. I just remember uh, something to do with pickle juice a long time ago. Meanwhile, what about uh, Josh Reddick, Todd? Uh, Josh Reddick's a pretty good all-around ball player, real good defensive player. Whose playing time does he take in Los Angeles, and how much playing time and how effective can he be in Los Angeles? I think, well, you know, again, coming from Oakland is the park. I think L.A. we talk about as a pitcher's park. But it's, it's still pretty good for homers, and you're able to hit him out of Oco. You're able to hit him out of anywhere. So as far as that goes, it's fine. Uh, I think I think he's a regular player. Uh, his defense will keep him in the lineup there. I don't know about you folks, but I you know I, I, I look at every week. I look at Andre Ethier. What do I give him? I finally just dropped him off my projections totally, and if I have to add him, I have to add him. So as long as someone like Trace Thompson is gone on the injured list, I mean, you're already platooning with uh, Jock Peterson, I, I think Reddick's in the lineup. His defense is that good. He's in the lineup. And, you know, we talking about platooning. He's always an injury risk. So he's all, you know, it's, it's he always has that threat to lose playing time. So I think they're looking at him as a full-time player in a, in a eh, not that great, but, you know, it's better than Oakland's lineup. So to me, again, as far as mixed league, it's a parallel move. If he was in your lineup in a mixed league, he stays in it now. And in an NL only, you like him just because it's, he's, he's, he's definitely upgrading one of your five outfielders or your utility. And if he doesn't play, if he only plays five or six days a week, it's still five or six more than, than your fifth outfielder is getting now.
And uh, Ray, as we mentioned earlier, it's not just about a guy moving to a new team. His departure from the athletics, uh, Josh Reddick, creates a vacuum. And I'm wondering, who do you think is going to be the playing time benefit? And is anybody who's going to get extra playing time going to get enough extra playing time to really make us sit up and take notice as to value? I, I'm having a hard time coming up with somebody who I want to really you know, get excited about in that sense. Uh, it might be from the other trade they made earlier in the week. It might be Brett, a- Brett Eibner, who they got in Oakland for uh, Billy Burns. You know, he might get a look. Uh, and other than that, you know, they're going to stick with Chris Davis in the outfield. You know, Reddick's been on the DL a couple of times this year, so you know they've already kind of churned through all of the internal options there. You know, they're mostly talking about guys we've seen before. The you know if Coco Crisp stays healthy, he's probably going to continue to play. And, but, you know, the newcomer that I'm interested in maybe seeing get an opportunity there, I think, is Eibner. I don't know. I think, I think there's one guy that we need to think about. A couple years ago, this guy was compared to Mookie Betts. And I'm not saying he's going to be a, the number five pick next year. But as Mendy Alcantara and Mookie Betts, Ray, you remember, a couple years ago, they were almost the same guy. So all I'm saying is, I'm not saying he's gonna, that, that Alcantara is going to go goofy. All I'm saying is it, it, it's someone to keep your eye on. They, uh, I don't know. Is Coco going to stay the rest of the season healthy? Without Sam Fold in the fold, they got no one to play center. And I think every game that Crisp is able to play center is like a luxury for them. Now that Billy Burns is gone, so I wouldn't. I keep my eye on Alcantara more than anything else, as far as, as a guy that might come up at some point and see some playing time. I mean, they've got a lot of moving parts. You don't want to, you know, Yonder Alonso and Daly Valencia. They can dabble in the outfield. They, you know, they can. If I have Ryan Healy, I'm more confident that he's going to play full time. Uh, th- things like that. So, but the one guy that I would at least put on my, you know, scribble down on my notepad is Alcantara to see what the situation is with him. I was just scribbling down Arizmendi Alcantara's name when you said that, so <laughs> perfect timing. Uh, uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, moving on, uh, the San Francisco Giants made some moves. The biggest one, of course, they get Matt Moore from the Rays. I've seen a lot of mixed reaction about this one, you guys. Uh, a lot of people very concerned that Matt Moore's coming back from Tommy John surgery has not been consistently good, but he's shown some real flashes. I'm wondering how do you guys think Matt Moore looks in a San Francisco uniform, a much better team, a team with big playoff aspirations? Ray, what do you think? How do you like Matt Moore as a San Francisco giant? I think you summarized it pretty correctly. He's got... You know, I've always liked Matt Moore, but, you know, as we get into this time of year, I think sometimes we actually forget that, you know, he's working his way back from Tommy John surgery. You know, he had a very quick cup of coffee at the end of last year, so he's really only been back pitching for about a year. So maybe we're still at the point where we don't want to put too – we can just start to take seriously what we're seeing from him and think that, you know, this is what he is. Uh, but certainly another off, another completely healthy offseason is only going to help him. And I think that's kind of what the Giants are thinking too. I think the real story here is that the Giants were worried from a durability point of view that, you know, they might be they might have bled everything they can out of Jake Peavy and Matt Cain and more at least bumps one of those guys out of the rotation and, you know, is a guy who can – take the ball every fifth day he's been you know he, he hasn't had any twinges of health concerns or anything since coming back so and he's younger and should be able to carry the workload and they don't have to ask that much of him all that said I think a big part of the reason they bought him here is that 
He's under control for, I think it's three more years. He's not making a ton of money, and he's more about being the guy who can slot into number four next year and the year after behind Bumgarner, Cueto, Samarja, and kind of solve that problem long term. And I don't think they're asking too much from him this year other than to take the ball and give them six innings. Yeah, no, I agree. And, I, I, you know, again, it's more narrative. I can't put, you know, rate this as far as putting in my little black box. But I, I, it can't hurt to have Medicine Bumgarner in your ear every couple days or being able to talk to Johnny Cueto. I know they they throw with opposite hands, but pitching is pitching. And San Francisco did go out, you know, we'll mention it, they made another move to shore up their bullpen. So, you know... Samarge is what their their number four guy, and, and Bumgarner and Cueto they they go really deep into games, and so you know, maybe you only want five or six strong out of out of Matt Moore. They bring in their bullpen and and they do the job because I think one of the sort of you mentioned it with Ray with with Peavy and Kane, a team like San Francisco they're probably not going to be in the wild card game, and they could be facing how the records work out probably not with the Cubs, but who knows they could be facing the team that just had to play a wild card game and had to burn Jose Fernandez or had to burn. You know they're they're you know nowhere Syndergaard. So being able to lead off with Bumgarner and then and then have a guy like uh, Smarja or Moore in essence match up against the other team's number one when he recycles through. I think that 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 really helps out in a uh, in in a series to have a the solid number four pitcher. So yeah, I like it. I'm not concerned. He's been traded. You know what? Why is Tampa trading him? You know what? Tampa's got some good pitching still, so I can understand it. And Tampa just I think I think they just like really really like Matt Duffy. We didn't really talk about that. I mean, the fact that the fact that San Francisco is able to turn Matt Duffy into this controllable lefty, Matt Moore, and you know be a favorite for the World Series, that's pretty cool. Well, since you mentioned it, Todd, uh, Matt Duffy was the uh, player of name that, that went over from the Giants to the Rays. And when, uh, when I saw this, actually I heard about it when I was driving home from Montreal the other day, my first question was, They've got Evan Longoria still signed for another 100 years or something like that. What are they going to do with Matt Duffy defensively? Uh, he's going to be playing shortstop, and Brad Miller's going to be playing first base. I don't know that this is their plan going forward, but that they've already come out and announced that. So, you know, we'll flip, if we flip over to the, the Tampa side of things, yeah, so uh, Duffy will be their shortstop. Longoria's staying at third, and uh, Brad Miller will be playing first. I mean, if you own Logan Morrison, uh, you know, I'm sorry, but uh, it's just the way it's going to be. And you know, they, you know, to sort of you know really jump around, they 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 got rid of Brandon Geyer, so that's going to open up another spot too on the in the Tampa lineup. So Brad Miller, he's he's going to be getting his at, at bats. Duffy is going to pick up shortstop eligibility soon enough in most leagues. And you know, when you when you go when you play either in San Francisco or in Tampa, the fact that you know our power hitter isn't a huge issue, at least at least for the team. It's not maybe for fantasy, we'd prefer it. But for the team, because, you know, those, both those lineups need to be, you know, move the line, keep the line moving, grinding-type lineups. And that's just what a player Duffy is. So from a baseball point of view, I can see where Tampa, you know, is okay. You know, I don't, I don't know enough. Honestly, it's not my thing. I don't know, you know, how, how his glove will play at shortstop. You're going to have to ask your other guys about that. But I think he's going to be fine as far as, you know, keep putting the ball in play on that turf. Uh, hitting some gaps, that sort of thing. So once he's healthy, you know, Duffy's a guy in an AL only league that, all the, not that it's a whole lot of players to be, although, you know, with Benettini up, Benet, Ben, Ray, help me out here. Ben Attendee. <laughs> ben Attendee's up. 
Ben Attendee's up. If he, he might be available in your leagues to lengthen it out. But a Duffy's the kind of guy that you can sneak in maybe if you don't have the hammer and you don't get him right away. But when you do get him, you probably you know he's probably better than your middle infielder or your corner infielder right now in your AL only league. Would he be eligible in most leagues at middle infield yet? Not yet, not yet. Probably will take five games. So he's probably you know. Uh, at this point, he's probably you can probably figure out a way to make him make it work at corner, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, so some of these guys are going to get the five games before they're eligible, right? They're going to play five games this week and be if they if they were looking at a new position, but he is still hurt, so he uh, he he won't get it uh, right away. And finally, guys, before we go to the break, uh, the Giants also, you mentioned this, Todd, uh, they picked up a uh, little bullpen help, actually a lot of bullpen help. Left-hander Will Smith comes over from the Brewers as the Brewers' fire sale continues. How much uh, impact is Will Smith going to have now that he's in the Giants, Ray? You know, that's not quite the bullpen that Texas is, but this helps. So, you know, they haven't accumulated this arsenal that the Rangers have, but they're, you know, Smith is going to help strength, straighten them out. You know, they've been relying on Javi Lopez through, I think, all three of their World Series runs, but his numbers have been way off. So Smith is going to help from the left side, and it, you know, allows them st- to start using, you know, Hunter Strickland a little bit differently and Derek Law, who's been carrying a lot of the eighth inning load a little bit differently. And I, th- I do think they're really just kind of babying Sergio Romo at this point and playing to unleash him in the playoffs. So. You know they've they've accumulated enough options here, and obviously compared to somebody like Texas, they've got you know more strength in the starting rotation, and that you know at least after you know you can equate Hamels and Darvish to Cueto and Bumgarner if you want to edge to the Giants there, I think, but you can sort of count two aces on each side. But then after that, now the Giants can go to Samarja and more, and not necessarily be you know, knowing that they're going to be into the bullpen in the fifth inning the way I think the Rangers do on those non-ace days. So this isn't quite that stacked a bullpen like Texas, but I don't think it has to be. I think Smith gets them to sort of a uh, core competency as a group that they might have been just under the bar of before. So he uh, he was a, he was a needed piece, and they paid handsomely for it. Yeah, I, I, I see it as strictly a baseball move. It's just you don't want you don't want to do everything San Francisco's done and then end up losing a game because on a relief, of, uh, you know, because of because a game where Samarja needed a little bit of help. So it's just when you're in go for it mode, this is the kind of move you make, and and they're in go for it mode. You know, I, if he was going to get saves where he was, all right, maybe he's not. Although he still could pick up an odd save because. I think if there's any team that might play a little bit with the bullpen and play matchup games, like you talked about uh, for Texas last year, it could be the Giants. But I, you know, you're not going to pick him up to get saves. But if you have him in your lineup and then only now you leave him there because I think he's going to be very effective. And, and who knows what happens down the stretch? Okay, guys, excellent first half. Uh, we covered a lot of ground. We're going to come back in just a minute. We're going to have uh, some discussion of our oldest Chapman and uh, other moves the Cubs are making. Uh, some interesting, I'll say, <laughs> kind of moves by the Blue Jays to shore up their pitching, but the question is if they actually accomplish that. Some other closers changing uh, uniforms. Lots to talk about. We'll be back in just a minute on Baseball HQ Radio. Hi, I'm Ray Murphy, co-general manager at BaseballHQ.com. I'm inviting you to join me at First Pitch Arizona, November 3rd through 6th in Scottsdale. It's three days jam-packed with seminars, scouting reports, workshops, and fantasy drafts. And best of all, First Pitch Arizona is three great days just talking baseball with hundreds of serious fantasy players like you and all of the top industry experts. And don't forget the ball games. 
First Pitch Arizona is your chance to scout 2017's Impact Rookies from your own front row seat. To get the details and to register, visit BaseballHQ.com and click on the giant First Pitch Arizona logo on the right side of the homepage. First Pitch Arizona. Come see for yourself why the fantasy baseball winners who attend every year call it the most fun you can have outside of draft day. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick Davitt with Todd Zola and Ray Murphy on a special Tuesday edition of Baseball HQ Radio roundtable on the trade deadline action. And guys, before we move on with some of what the Orioles did, uh, we didn't mention the Rays rotation. Matt Moore was traded away, and Matt Andrees is going to take his spot. Matt Andrees is kind of quietly having not a bad year. Does this uh, make you interested in Matt Andrees more than you would have been, Todd? A little bit, uh, you know, Forget, forgetting the whole win thing. I'm, uh, it's a nice, it's a good park to pitch in. Yes, I'm a little bit interested. Um, I think he was probably going to see some time anyway because I don't know how much some of these other guys are going to make up through the year. Keep in mind that that Alex Cobb has had his first rehab appearance, and I think I think Homer Bailey needed six rehab starts. So I mean, it's not like Cobb's coming back tomorrow, but I do think he'll be back in the picture. I do think they want him around to at least get the you know get a few starts under his belt. Uh, after TJS, so that he at least can spend the off season, you know, air quotes normally. He doesn't have to worry about if that elbow is going to snap. But I am, I, I am a bit interested. And I, at this point, I don't think that they'll uh, stretch out Erasmo Ramirez again, unless I plan on having him as a starter going forward. But I think, I mean, that I, I'm not dropping him in my teams yet either. If I manage, for whatever reason, to keep Ramirez around. I, there's always a possibility they go the Dylan Bundy route with him and give him two innings now and three innings next time and then put him back in the rotation as well. But Andrews is the guy, at least in the short term, that I'm looking at. Yeah, I'm a little intrigued too. I'm a little concerned that, or I guess my my intrigue is a little lowered by the fact that you know even though he got six or seven starts in the beginning of the season, he hasn't started in a month and he's lost a little bit of his. Uh, being stretched out as a starter, he's been you know working in multi-inning relief, but still in this you know his first start is probably going to be like a four or five inning one, and his second one might be a five inning one. It might be you know two turns around from now before he's someone who you know you can reasonably look at and expect six innings from. So that delays my optimism a little bit. And then to Todd's point, you know if you delay it on the one end, and then you've got some alternatives coming in Cobb and you know, an expanded September roster not that far away. I don't know how clean the opportunity is here, but you want any given night in a DFS situation or in a weekly pickup, depending on where his, uh, you know, where his two-start opportunity falls in the next few weeks, you know, that he might be a spot opportunity that I would consider. I like Matt Andrees a little bit too, but I'm I'm also concerned about some of the skill marks and luck marks that I see as strikeout per nine rate. His DOM is 675 strikeouts per nine innings, which is not great anymore in this uh, in this environment. He doesn't give up a lot of home runs, but he also has a relatively low 26% hit rate, which you'd think is a little uh, out of the ordinary. 75% strand rate's a little high. Uh, um, I don't know. To me, this all looks like a fairly average starter, maybe playable in uh, in in single league formats, but I'm not sure about mixed. Todd. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't think anybody, unless Ray, like Ray suggested, unless he happens to get a uh, you know a Monday Saturday sort of situation, I'm not looking for him in a, in a mixed league scenario. Especially if I'm chasing wins, you know, you can't chase wins. Well, sometimes you have to chase wins, and uh, you know, I'm not I'm not sure. 
uh, if I'm ch- especially since uh, the, well, I don't know, maybe the Tampa lineup is parallel because they had a lot of, lot of moving parts, and I think probably can still hit lefties pretty well. But uh, he's you know he's a guy I'm looking just to pick up, so much kind of out of desperation. But I'm not even sure he's a guy I'm looking for in the future. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if Andres is the kind of guy that that Tampa will have as their fourth or fifth starter going forward. So I'm not even sure he's a speculative going forward play. You know, that's your Alex Cobb or maybe even Ramirez or Asmo Ramirez. Uh, but at this point, innings and at bats are currency. And if I need the innings, if I lost Rich Hill, if I lost one of these guys, he's probably better than some of the replacements out there. The Orioles got Steve Pierce from the Rays. That's about all they did. The Rangers, we mentioned earlier, got Brandon Geyer from the Rays. I don't think Geyer or Steve Pierce need a lot of discussion here. I'm more wondering about the effects on the Rays' offensive lineup. Uh, it didn't look that good on Monday night. They had uh, eight, 16 strikeouts, I think, against them by Danny Duffy. And does that look like it might be the future for, for Tampa Bay offensive baseball, the balance of the year? See, what's weird is Tampa was quietly the best team in terms of weighted on base versus lefties that was in the league. And uh, it kind of drove me goofy watching uh, a series against the Red Sox a couple of weeks ago where the announcers were just in total dismay how they were able to hit Eduardo Rodriguez and David Price when they literally, and it wasn't even close, they had the top weighted on base against lefties of any team in the league by 5 or 10 points. Now, both Pierce and Geyer were are part of that. But I, there's, I think there still could be enough parts that they still could be fairly effective against lefties. Uh, they, they, you know, again, again kind of like, kind of like we were talking about projecting with Texas. I've been over projecting Tampa all year long. I just don't. Who do I take the bats away from? Uh, you know, and it also helps me because I, I, I didn't realize there was a difference between Stephen Pierce and Logan Forsythe. I kind of thought they were the same guy. So now I know there's clearly two different players. So that's going to help me from in my head keep them apart and uh, figure that out. But um. I don't know, does this bring Matuk back up there? Does this mean Je- Desmond Jennings gets a reprieve? I think he's the guy right now that I'm looking at. You know, he, he may be he may be hurt again, and uh, he, by the time you listen to this, he may be healthy again. Uh, that's the kind of guy, you know, he plays okay between injuries is what Desmond Jennings does. So it, he's sort of the guy I'm looking for immediately. They just brought Taylor Motter back, the, uh, probably to, to, to play – uh, a little bit of shortstop, a little bit of infield, and, and dabble in the outfield as well. But I don't, I don't see a huge difference in the team, even though they did lose Geyer and they did lose Pierce. I think the offense is almost parallel to what it was, just because they had so many moving parts. Yeah, I think that's about right. And for the short term, you know, it looks like Jennings kind of becomes a one for one swap in for Geyer. Uh, you know, you're talking about uh, modern. You know, another, you know, of these moving parts that I'm, I have a soft spot for, and I'm particularly interested in watching here is Nick Franklin who got called right back up before the deadline and seems to you know be one of those guys who might pick up some of these at bats as you as we were saying earlier depending on exactly where Brad Miller plays Miller could end up in the outfield a little bit Franklin can play a number of different places I think he was actually DHing the other night uh so you know that's a guy who you know has a bunch of swing and miss in his game but there's you know still that tantalizing potential of a middle infielder with pop in his bat that you know we've been holding out for I, I think if, if I remember correctly, he was part of the uh, three-way deal when they uh, sent Price out of Tampa, and they haven't gotten anything out of him yet. So, he, the sometime in the next six weeks, they might decide to take another you know decent-sized look at him. 
Guys, the Toronto Blue Jays were thought of as a team that was going to be uh, active, maybe based more on what they did last year. Then uh, with the big executive shuffle in the front office, people weren't quite sure what to expect. And they made a couple of moves to shore up their starting rotation because they really do want to move Aaron Sanchez out of the rotation and into the bullpen for the balance of the year and presumably for the playoffs. But the uh, starting pitchers, they added Scott Feldman from the Astros, Francisco Liriano from Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Ray? You know, Feldman, I don't think is much of a factor. I think he's an insurance policy, and he's actually been pitch- pitching decently out of the bullpen, mostly in Houston this year. So I think he might be there to be the you know sort of multi-inning uh, reliever to bail out the starter as needed and give them you know sort of protect the rest of the staff and keep them from having to you know use Sanchez for multiple innings out of the bullpen, which would sort of defeat the purpose of what they're trying to do and limit his innings. I mean, Liriano is obviously an enigma. Uh, he's been he's been quite good for the last couple of years, but the wheels have just come off this year. And you know, when Pittsburgh, who has Ray Searage, who's been you know so much of a pitching whisperer in the last couple of years, and had gotten such great results out of Liriano after he had been you know all but left for rubble in Minnesota, if Pittsburgh's going to give up on a guy, I kind of think that that means that they think they've gotten everything they can out of him and. With all that said, moving into the AL East from the NL Central and into Rogers Center from Pittsburgh makes me not terribly optimistic about Liriano for the balance of the season or the balance of his contract, for that matter. I don't. Well, man, I, I know it's not the question you're asking, and, and we can swing it into how it helps Pittsburgh. But what does what does Drew Hutchinson need to do in order to get a little bit of you know I don't want to say respect, but I, how many times this year, Ray? Did you know we're we're, we're uh, we need a fifth pitcher for Toronto? Okay, uh, Hutchinson is he, they can lift him in the minors because he's on course, and it turns out it's not Hutchinson. I mean, the guy all he did go down there. He had a, a K per nine over nine, a three point one walk rate, uh, at Triple A. Uh, he didn't do anything to discourage a call up. So uh, it, to me, it's, a, it's somewhat baffling why why the, the, you know what what they were doing with Hutchinson. I'd rather have called up Hutchinson and used him down the stretch than Lariano. Lariano just worries me, just the gas can that he is. He's given up home runs in Pittsburgh, and I talk about park effects. Well, this is one of those extremes, going from park that, that's really hard to hit a home run to uh, to Toronto. And uh, I I almost, I don't know, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I, I don't want, Larry, I'd rather fab Mike Pelfrey in my AL-only league than, than Francisco Lariano. And, you know, I know you're a fan, Patrick. I hope Toronto does well for you. But I, I just, I'm baffled by this move, and I only usually, you know, tell me who it is, and I'll tell you how they're going to do for fantasy, and I have no emotions either way as far as, you know, good player, bad player, but I'm baffled by this one. I couldn't agree with you more about Hutchinson. I've been sitting on him on my in my NFC league, and I think even a couple of other teams since like the All Star break, expecting him to be the guy that got the Sanchez rotation spot, and. For whatever reason, Toronto just does not want to go there. And kind of flipping around what I said about uh, Searage, you can just already see that, in my eyes, Hutchinson is another live arm who's going to get under Searage's tutelage and probably you know, fall into that rotation early next year in Pittsburgh and do something like what Liriano and A.J. Burnett, Nettison Volquez, and those kind of guys have done when they've gotten to Pittsburgh. I hope it happens sooner. I hope it happens to the start of this year, but excuse me, the balance of this year. But I just read something this morning that suggested that to try to keep an extra year of 
uh, service time on Hutchison, he's probably going to go to the Myers until September, which is just another example of the guy who has shown all the growth that he seemingly would need to show in AAA and just can't get a rotation crack right now. Don't forget, Pittsburgh got I picked up Ivan Over as well, who I talk about uh, a park extreme. This one I am interested in, Yankee Stadium to Pittsburgh. I'm now... Even for this year, I'm interested in Ivan Nova if I'm in an NL-only league. We mentioned Hill and Matt Moore. I'm not forgetting about Ivan Nova if I need pitching in, in a National League-only league right now. That's a, Oil and vinegar was him in Yankee Stadium. You know, he's like peanut butter and jelly when it comes. I just made that up. I like that one. He's like peanut butter and jelly when it comes to uh, PNC, fly ball pitcher with, a, with an outfield that can go get it. So I'm, I'm interested in Nova, and, I, and I'm pretty sure we'll be talking about him on the first pitch forum tour next spring as a uh, you know as an end gamer in, in in the senior circuit. I I agree with uh, Todd on Nova. I think Pittsburgh you know does, does a nice job of going out and identifying pitchers both that Searage thinks he can help and that have weaknesses that they know will play well in their ballpark and with that defense behind them and the way they you know align their defenders and shift and all of those things. And I think Nova is probably going to get a nice bump from that and. Like I was saying, if Hutchison is somebody who needs a little bit of polishing and might be more of a you know, 2017 impact for Pittsburgh, I think Todd's right that Nova's a guy who can, you know, just from the environment change without doing anything differently, can be a lot more valuable in Pittsburgh than he was in New York. The thing about a pitching coach like Ray Searage, who has obviously has the ear of the front office, has the ear of the manager, and not only we always talk about that he's the kind of guy and they're the kind of organization that can recognize when other teams are missing an opportunity to turn a guy into a really good pitcher. But I think the flip side of that is also true. And sometimes we miss it. They're also the kind of organization. It seems to me that knows when to cut bait. (laughs) And if I was a Toronto fan, which I'm not, I'm a Reds fan, which is even uh, like, I don't even want to talk about it, but, uh, I watch Toronto a lot because they're on TV where I live a lot and uh, and there's a lot of media coverage of the team. And if I was a fan of the Jays, I'd be really concerned that the uh, man, general manager of the team said he thinks, and I'm quoting, Liriano is someone who could pitch in game two or three or four of a World Series run. Well, you're going to need a guy to, to pitch five innings of relief, but maybe he's, you know, that's the that's the other thing. I mean, Toronto's pen isn't, it's, it, they've made some moves to, to, to improve it. But even when Lariano's on, he's a six-inning guy at this point, unless unless the reason he becomes better is because he stops walking people. But he's not even a guy that's gonna you know chew up innings for you on on a staff. So that 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 that, that bugged me too is because I mean Toronto's bullpen's better than than one might think it is, but I don't know that it's good enough to uh you know to absorb the you know the consistent four or uh, three or four innings that you're gonna need to for for Lariano. I think the, uh, the the dirty secret of the Aaron Sanchez thing, they've talked an awful lot about how they're trying to protect his arm, long-term investment as a starter, all that stuff, and I'm sure there's an element of truth to that. But I think when they looked at the situation, I think they thought that what they really needed was a, a bullpen help. And Aaron Sanchez was very effective as a bullpen pitcher uh, in past years. And I think that, you know, if they, they think that if they throw Sanchez, Biagini Sanchez, uh, Grilly and then uh, and then Osuna, it's maybe not the best bullpen in the league, but it's not the worst anymore either with the addition of Sanchez. And I think that once they made that decision, then they had to start thinking, well, what are we going to do for the rotation? And I just believe they weren't willing to pay what it would have cost to get anything better than what they did get, which was Scott Feldman and Francisco Luriano. Yeah, but as we said, they already had better. 
they had better at AAA. So we'll see. Probably should have gone with Hutchison. I'm I'm with you guys. I found the whole thing very uh, very peculiar. And uh, finally, let's talk about some closers. Uh, the Cubs short up their bullpen with Aroldis Chapman. We know what we've got with Aroldis Chapman. Of course, he's an all-in type of closer. Ex- expect a National League only. Uh, Joe Smith comes over from the Angels. And my question isn't is Joe Smith worth a flyer? I guess he is a relatively low strikeout guy. But I guess if you need a reliever in a National League format, he might work. My, my question is about the Angels' bullpen. What does this say about what they're doing over there, and especially with uh, Houston Street really struggling? Yeah, Street's a mess, and I think the only real question that remains is whether the Angels have the patience or, more accurately, the stomach to keep running him out here, out there in the ninth inning, try to get a couple of good outings from him, rebuild his value a little bit, and then flip him in some kind of August waiver deal, or whether they just decide that they can't take it anymore and just give the ball to Bedrosian now, which I think is eminently clear it's going to happen, and the only question is whether it's on August 15th or September 1st or April 1st of next year. Yeah, you look for certain signs. I, don't, I hate to be too Boston-centric because we got a, a couple of New Englanders here. But when Steve Lyons calls a Dustin Pedroia home run from the booth, you know it's time to replace the closer. And uh, Lyons pretty much called Pedroia hitting that home run the other night. And uh, to me, that's a sign that it's time to get Bedrock in there or Camrock or whatever they're calling him at this point. Yeah, it's an interesting situation, but uh, remember earlier in the year when, at the start of the year, in fact, when Ken Giles went to the Astros and they didn't make him the closer, they left uh, the incumbent in there, and then when they had a second chance, they also didn't make him the closer, and the story was, or the speculation was, they wanted him not to get saves because of the con- of the concern that it would drive his arbitration price up. My worry is that the Angels may be looking at Bedrosian and thinking, yeah, you know, if we're being smart about it, we just need a guy for high leverage situations. Let's not give him saves because then it saves us millions of dollars down the road. Well, then I hope the Angels lose every game they needed for a reliever then because I absolutely I hate that sort of thing. It's just, uh, and you'd like to think the Angels have the budget and the wherewithal not to worry about that sort of thing. And, tra- you know, I don't want to say training, but giving a guy uh, six weeks, if, the, if, he, if he's your closer of the future and you do want to compete, give a guy six weeks to acclimate with the job and, and that sort of thing is far more important than the extra couple million dollars you're going to be paying the guy. Because, you know, if he, if he wins you one extra game in the playoffs, you've more than made back that, that extra million dollars you had to pay in salary by gate or playing another game or, or whatever. So... I don't know. Sometimes it's weird to think of those and those long those lines, but it's I don't want to call it karma, but there's other repercussions to that. And six weeks worth of closing could do a lot down the road if if he is your guy of the future. And it's also a slightly different calculus in Houston where they at least have other competent relievers. I mean, you know, mm. getting getting three outs with a one, two, or three run lead isn't. You know, is something that a competent, you know, above average skilled reliever should be able to do with the majority of the time. And asking Gregerson or Will Harris to do that instead of Giles is not necessarily a crime against humanity. But in that that Angels bullpen, where there's not a lot of competence other than Bedrosian, you know, Smith is gone, Street looks cooked. You know, you got Fernando Salas there as maybe an option, but, you know, it's going to strain the bounds of credulity very quickly if they do, if they could continue to have Bedrosian go out there and strike out the side in the eighth and have some other schmo come in and blow the game in the ninth. The Nationals got Mark Melanson from the Pirates. I'm curious what you guys think, not only about Melanson's role in Washington, but also uh, the Pirates making moves. Are they throwing in the towel with this move, or what's going on here, Todd? I don't think the Pirates are throwing in the towel. I think they need a lot to break break right. They went out and they got uh, Antonio Bastardo. 
a left-handed reliever kind of to to, re, to sort of keep the pen the same length. I think sometimes we forget that Watson's a lefty just because he's been so darn good in the role. To us, he's not a lefty. He's a setup man that's really good. So, you know, keep in mind, you know, keep in mind he is left-handed. So getting Bastardo uh, for John Neese uh, basically gives the uh, the Pirates that left-handed reliever down there. They, I mean, they w- it wasn't going to be an acquisition that puts them over the top. The, you know, the team just had to come together all, to, you know, all at once. They've got the parts there. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen, but I don't think they're throwing in the towel either. Um, the set for the second wild card out there. Um, so I don't think there's, I don't think they're, they're giving it in. I don't think they're, 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 they're giving up. Um, I, the, the bullpen is sure. Maybe it's a little bit weaker now, but as a, as a left-handed specialist, Bastardo can do the job and Watson will do the job closing. So I, I understand why they did what they did. Yeah, I understand it too. And I think it's, you know, that organization may have learned over the last couple of years better than ever, anyone else because they've been through it so many times. What the, you know what? What does what a half of a wild card berth, or you know the second wild card berth, and the and the opportunity to play your way in in one game is really worth. And I think what we're seeing is that they're not willing to push all in for that. They've seen that go well and go poorly, and they know that it's a flip of the coin, and you can run into you know a Kershaw this year is a possibility, something like that. And I think they're not you know closing the door on getting there, but they're just not. You know, willing to spend to prioritize getting there, and it's kind of hard to blame them for that because they, they've been down that road more than anybody else, and they've also got, you know, the Cubs and Cardinals continuing their division, and they've got to look a year out, and what they want to do more than anything is get a full playoff berth, and that's that might be an easier, ro- you know, they might have a better opportunity to live to fight another day and go blow for blow with the Cubs next year than try to you know get in the side door again this year. Meanwhile, Washington also has aspirations to uh, go far in the playoffs. They've uh, pretty much uh, put Mark Melanson in as a closer to settle a difficult situation with Jonathan Papelbon's struggles. How much does Mark Melanson benefit the Nationals, and how much does being on the Nationals benefit him, if at all, as a fantasy asset? I think it's parallel. He's not a dominant sort of guy. He, you know, he's, he's got that wicked cutter that induces the weak contact. You know, he'll get his strikeouts, but that's, you know, you're getting him for the saves. He was on a run in Pittsburgh where just the the style of the team was giving him 45 or so saves a year. So, I mean, we just don't know how many he's going to get down the stretch. But, you know, if if Melanson's my closer, again, I'm not looking to upgrade him or or anything like that. And I'm not looking to deal him because I think he's worth more or less now. Uh, it's just it's somewhat of a parallel move, and I think the bigger question is does not so much bigger question, but does you know does Papelbon come up with a phantom injury and suddenly he's on the DL the rest of the year or something? It wouldn't, it's, I don't know. I'm not so, I think they they need another reliever, but you know it wouldn't be the most shocking thing of the world if uh, if suddenly Papelbon wasn't part of their future or present, I should say. Yeah, I think that very well could happen. We may very well have seen the last of him in Washington this year. I mean, obviously there's. You know, long-term baggage there, and he's been there for you know exactly a year now, and you know ended last year on ba- on a bad note. He ended the year before in Philadelphia on a bad note. You know, the guy seems to have almost seasonal affective disorder in September, right? So <laughs> I'm not sure they want him around again. And you know, if the only thing that was keeping him tethered there was, yeah, we don't really like dealing with him, but at least he's effective. Well, he's lost that leverage, so there may not be a lot of reason to have him around at all. And finally, guys, and the last big move that we want to talk about here, another closer changing sides. Uh, Andrew Miller goes from the Yankees to the Indians. The Indians looked okay anyway. They look stronger with Andrew Miller. Uh, I guess the question people are wondering is, uh, 
is it going to be a kind of a job share with uh, Cody Allen or is it going to be uh, Andrew Miller all the way? And how does that affect both? How does the uncertainty affect both of those guys? Uh, Ray, we'll give this one to you. You know, I've seen that both guys have at least said the right things. Miller, obviously, in New York, had a history of being sort of yanked in and out of the closer role and really seemed completely unaffected by it. Cody Allen said even before Miller was specifically acquired that he was willing to step aside if they brought in another reliever. So I think that opens the door for them to do sort of whatever they want. And I think Francona is the kind of manager who doesn't necessarily need everything to be paint by numbers and won't necessarily say it's going to be Miller in the eighth, it's going to be Allen in the ninth or vice versa. You know, maybe he won't start getting that creative until closer to the playoffs. But having seen him manage for for years in Boston, I know he's got that mindset in him, and I know he can get into that mode. He may choose not to go there right away, but I think the opportunity has been laid out for him by the Cleveland front office to go that way if he wants to. So, bottom line is, I think this might get pretty annoying for fantasy owners. To, you know, uh, you know, whether it's later in September or whether it's immediate, you might see. Miller one night, Allen the next. You might see them flip-flopping. You might see them being very careful about not letting either one of them go in back-to-back games, let alone three in a row. So there's a lot of ways they can play this, but I think the combination of two complementary and cooperative relievers with a creative manager sort of lays the book open and lets them do whatever they want. I don't know. I kind of, what I see, if I I have to choose the two, I'm taking Miller. I kind of think that, Francona is smart enough to throw Allen a bone once in a while and give him that that save when uh when 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 Miller's gone two games in a row or something like that. I think when it you know we don't care about the playoffs and fantasy, but when the playoffs come, it would shock me if it wasn't Miller in ninth every single game. So I think he, I think Francona is smart enough to uh, keep Allen happy to give him a save up. Maybe maybe he hasn't thrown for a while. He had a clean eighth and leave him in there for the ninth and give Miller the day off. Things like that. So I think you know if if we're talking. Ten more saves. It could be a seven and a three sort of thing, like you know, with Miller getting most or twelve saves, you know, being you know, I don't know, whatever, being nine and three or eight and four. But uh, I, I want Miller more than I want Allen. And come playoff time, I think it's going to be Miller. I should be clear. I want Miller more than I want Allen too. Well, since you mentioned the playoffs, I'd like to close by asking you guys, as a general thing, which uh, team or teams do you think help themselves the most as far as positioning themselves for a stretch run? and improving themselves for a long run in the playoffs. Uh, Todd, throw this to you first. Well, I mean, I, I'll mention, uh, just to, to, to sort of tie in a trade, I think was really that we need to overlook. I sort of like what Miami did if they didn't lose Colin Ray, at least to shore up that second wild card spot. Uh, we, we didn't talk about Andrew Kashner, but I think he's, he's, he's a pretty decent uh, acquisition. Well, maybe because it occurred before the deadline. But I kind of like what Miami's doing they, uh, as far as shoring themselves up uh, as the non-obvious team. Because, you know, you alluded to Kershaw before. Can you imagine a, a Fernandez-Kershaw wildcard game? That would be kind of – that could be the highest-rating playoff game in the entire uh, – before you get to the World Series. Uh, so I, I think an under-the-radar team would be would be what Miami did. Obviously, you got to like what Texas did. Uh, and, and quietly what the Cubs did is if they needed any more help. But, I mean, if I'm – the American League, you know, I'm a fan of American League East team in Boston. Uh, I look at Cleveland and Texas and I say, wow, you know, what – the non-moves Red Sox made, they better have their players play up to potential or else they're looking at a very short playoff series, if only, if if any at all. Yeah, I think that's kind of my takeaway too, is, you know, with a very active trade trade deadline, I guess this isn't all that surprising a takeaway when you think about it, but I 
I'm surprised, or I, I'm not sure I remember as many teams that come out of the deadline as completely loaded for bear as what we see right now. You know, like you said, Todd, Cleveland and Texas both just stacked top to bottom on the AL side. The Cubs obviously were already there and only got better with Chapman. And the Dodgers and Giants both helped themselves. The Nats did what they needed to do. I mean... In, in a lot of other years, I think you'd come out of the deadline and pick you know sort of any one of those teams and want to anoint them the clear favorite. And I've just named like six or seven of them who all I think kind of the bar rises to that level. So I I think it's going to be an interesting battle for positioning and everyone trying to avoid the wild card games in the various scenarios where that's still in play for some people. But there's going to be some you know some some really heavyweight battles probably right in the first round best of five in the divisional series come october it's going to be a great last couple of months it's been a great last couple of uh well not quite two hours as usual here at baseball hq radio but it's been a fun and interesting and very entertaining hour thanks to you two guys uh, todd zola thanks a million for helping us out and uh we'll talk to you again real soon yeah that's the plan ray murphy thank you for your insights and uh, we'll talk to you as well really enjoyed it thank you both Todd Zola writes for Masters Ball, Rotowire, and ESPN. Ray Murphy is the co-general manager of BaseballHQ.com and writes the Speculator and GM's office columns at the site. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, August the 2nd. Thanks very much for listening to show number 37 of the 2016 Fantasy Baseball season. I do hope you enjoyed this special Tuesday roundtable and that you have your fab bids and waiver claims all figured out. I also want to thank our guests on the roundtable, from BaseballHQ.com, Ray Murphy, and from Masters Ball, Rotowire, and ESPN, Todd Zola. I'm Patrick Davitt, the host of the Baseball HQ Radio Podcast. I always hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember, you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook, and we have a Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt or send us a message on our email address, bhqradio, all one word, at gmail.com, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. It really does help us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again in just three days when our Friday feature guest expert will be a return engagement with Todd Zola on the next edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.